Hello, I'm Michelle Tassinari, your host for the California Staffing Professionals Visionary Thinkers Podcast, a series promoting excellence in the staffing and recruiting industry. In this podcast, we meet visionary thinkers and talk with them about their career and journey into staffing and recruiting. Along the way, we learn everything from how they started to where they are now. We uncover what inspired them and who helped them along the way. We dive into what challenges they've overcome and gain insight into how to be successful in the staffing and recruiting industry. I know you'll enjoy listening to these inspiring stories. Thank you for joining us. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a comment. Scott Love is a legal recruiter who focuses on national partner placement for global law firms. He is an expert on the topic of business development strategy and uses this skill to help partners reach their full potential in joining a new firm. Scott is on the board of the National Association of Legal Search Consultants and enjoys speaking at conferences on topics such as recruiting, retention, and business development. Scott is the producer and host of the Rainmaking Podcast. You can find his podcast on Apple Podcasts or at this link www.therainbankingpodcast.com. He is a graduate of the United States Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland, and lives in Richmond, Virginia with his family. In addition to working as a legal recruiter, he is also a professional watercolor artist. Well, thank you for joining us today on Vital Talks, and joining us today is Scott Love. Scott Love is a legal recruiter who focuses on national partner placement in uh, global law firms. He's an expert on the topic of business development strategy and uses his skills to help partners reach their full potential in joining a new firm. Scott is a producer and host of the Rainmaking podcast on the board of the National Association of Legal Search Consultants and enjoys speaking at conferences on topics such as recruiting, retention, and business development. Scott has a unique skill set in that um, in, in experience and that Scott is an actual living, working, breathing desk manager today, even though he's a recognized international trainer in the staffing industry. And we're just so glad to have you here today, Scott. Thank you so much Thanks for, for joining us. Oh, you guys are great. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Well, in our Vital Talks Visionary Thinkers podcast, we really like to bring people in who are actual recruiting and staffing professionals that are working the live desk and have built very successful recruitment practices in various ways. And uh, yours is a unique story, I think, also. And we were just delighted mm-hmm. that you wanted to join us. And yep. yeah. I, a lot of people don't know your background. I don't know if there's a lot of people that don't know your background, but there might be some. <laughs> but <laughs> but you know, just uh, if, if you could just kind of give us just a little bit how you fell into or how you jumped into or, or, or what happened that made you, you know, want to go to staffing and what was your first job, your first job job, and then how did you go segue into recruiting? Right. I went to this little party college called the Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland, and I don't want to say I love the experience. I love graduating from that school. It was really tough, and it taught you how to live a life of dealing with continuous, nonstop adversity, because that's what it really trains you for in the fleet. I served my time in the fleet, got out, got into sales. My first job was selling radio station advertising sales, commission only. I actually didn't get hired for a commission only job from one big radio station. 
So I went to work for the small AM radio station out in the country in Virginia. That was my first job. Ended up selling long distance telecom after that and then fell into recruiting the office next to ours. I was working in in pretty much the only skyscraper in Asheville, North Carolina, selling long distance. The office next to ours was a recruiting firm. And I used to hang out with the guys over there during lunch. We used to throw darts. I got to know them. They talked about recruiting. And they told me, and this is in 1995, they said, if you do really well, you can make over $40,000 a year. And I I thought, I'm never going to make that much in my whole life. I have to do this. And when I joined the recruiting firm, I should have known that something was wrong with the industry based on the interview. They they said, tell me about your career ambitions. I said, well, I really have no career ambitions. I just need a job. And they said, well, that'll work for us. You're hired. And so and I was there and I made some placements. I ended up not getting paid for them, if you can imagine. I had a $600 long distance bill that I didn't get reimbursed for and I Pretty much the owner never returned my calls, so I thought, well, I don't think I'm working there anymore. And so I hung up my own shingle in 1996, honored my non-compete, and did really well. Started recruiting in construction, uh, started my training business in 2002, ended up selling that several years ago. Along the way, I got into legal recruiting about 11 years ago, and it's, it's a fun time. It's tough, as you know, especially in the middle of a global pandemic. It's hard, but there's opportunities out there. And it's, uh, you know, it's one of those jobs that when you do it, and if, if you feel like that's what you're made to do, you do it. And it's, it, it's a grind, but anything's a grind. If you want to be number one in the world in anything, it's going to be a grind. So uh, I do a lot of management of the emotions, trying to keep my head on straight, staying motivated, staying focused, staying disciplined. Everything that I've taught people over the years is what I do every day. And it's an exciting job. So you actually practice what you preach. I do. I do. <laughs> you, don't just, you don't just say, hey, do this and you'll be fine and then do something else. You actually, all the training that I listen to, I've, I've been to many of your trainings and enjoyed every single one of them. Thank you. This is how you stay strong. Absolutely right. And, and I've met some trainers in the industry that did do staffing and recruiting and then they just got into training. And I remember asking one of my, I said, have you ever thought about going back into recruiting? It's like, oh, good Lord, no, I'd never do that. <laughs> and because uh, it's hard, it's really hard, but there's no opportunity out there where someone like me could make the kind of money without having to go to medical school or do anything like, you know, investment banking and all that. It, we're just regular people that when you have a little bit of talent but a lot of desire, there's no limit to what somebody can earn and the amount of impact they can have and, and, this, and the reach that you can have within your niche. And that's my whole philosophy. When I used to teach people in the business and coach them, I would tell them that the people that are number one in the world in whatever their field didn't just stumble into it. They always had a deliberate intention. I want to be number one in the world. And that opportunity exists within recruiting. There's no limit to what somebody can earn in this business. Well, that's a good segue into my next question, Scott, as far as your first big success. You know, do you remember that, how that felt? and how you realized that, you know, I'm going to make it. I mean, you didn't get paid for a placement, you mentioned. You, you did a yeah. placement and right off the bat, and you're a rookie. And you, you made placements. You ran up a $600 phone bill. When did you say, <laughs> well, I, I'm i going to do this, and I can do this? I mean, what was that turning point? Because I think people really want to hear that. How did that what, what did that for you? It was, it was at the NAPS. Yeah, it was at the NAPS convention in 1996. 19- 
and it was in Dallas, Texas. I mean, this goes way back, and, and I'm really that old, right? And, and, and this is at the NAPS convention in 1996. Vince Pacente was our keynote speaker. I think uh, Tony Bruno was speaking. I don't know if Barr Bruno was speaking at that time. Danny Cahill was there. And I think it was after the first night, I had a, one of my clients lived in Dallas. I think I was 28 at the time. And I remember having a cocktail with him one evening in the hotel lobby. And no, it's actually in Dallas. It was at the, at the hotel where it's the big sphere in downtown Dallas. We had a, a happy hour there. And I remember thinking, this is it. I've arrived. I'm having a, a happy hour with a client. I feel like a grown-up. I, I can do this. That was when I really, that when we provide exceptional client service to our clients that see us as a valuable asset, as an indispensable asset, then you're never going to have to worry about job security. When you can learn how to articulate your narrative in a way that brings value to those that are signing the checks, when you can see yourself as a solution to candidates that are experiencing some sort of frustration at their situation, when you can learn how to communicate to people so that it's not all about you, but it's all about them, and that your job is to help them, then people eagerly follow you. And and I think that's the one thing I've seen, Michelle, is that in my whole training career, uh, getting people to understand that one concept, that it's not about you, it's about them. I even tell candidates, it's not the Scott Show. It's not about me. If you're not interested in my client's opportunity, I'm okay with that. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Not calling me back, that's going to hurt my feelings. Just be honest with me. And so I think it's uh, getting people to understand that it's all about service work to other people. Well, that's excellent advice. And I think a lot of people don't get phone calls back. We all get, we have this thing called ghosting now. It sounds like you have a way of managing that a little bit. You tell them right off the bat. Yeah, setting expectations. Yeah, absolutely. As far as uh, you mentioned, a lot of big names in, in the, the recruiting training. Uh, were there any other, were there men- specific mentors that kind of uh, taught you along the way, or did you just kind of yeah. um, grab it from everywhere? <laughs> no. It, well, my first manager, his name was Jim Vockley, and at the first firm that I joined, he really took the time to teach me the business. And during my lunch breaks, when everybody else is hanging out in the back smoking cigarettes, watching Matlock reruns at their desk on their computer that they would or the, on their televisions they would bring in on their desk. I mean this is this is before we had PCs, before we had, had computers. I would watch Steve Finkel videos every day at lunch. I would watch those. I would watch everything. Uh, when I started my own firm, I would make a point to invest a certain percentage of my billings back in continuing education. Anytime I saw a seminar on recruiting, I would pay the money to go for it. Bill Raden, uh, Peter Lefkowitz had some great ideas. And these are people that when I started training, I always quote them. I give them full attribution for any ideas that I'd learned from them. Bar Bruno, I think, is probably one of the better ones out there. She's got great content and just a big heart. Uh, who else? Tony Byrne, if you remember him back in the day. Placement 2000 was his video series. I was president of the Arizona Staffing Professionals Group when I lived in Phoenix uh, from 96 to 2000, uh, 2001. And we were the last trade association that he spoke at before he died. And getting just to spend time with him one-on-one, just hearing about all of his adventures and all the things that he's seen. But I've, I've had some, I think probably my biggest mentor is Jeff Kay, who's really helped me out because he's always the smartest man in the room. And just getting the time to pick his brain and see things the way he sees them 
I have a bracelet. It's WWJD. It's what would Jeff do? <laughs> That's what I, I joke with him and say, if, if there's ever a situation, he usually knows the answers. But I've, I've read a lot of books. I've taken a lot of seminars. I've gone to everything that I could go to. And I think the whole goal is, and I even see myself, I see myself more as a student. When people say, oh, you're a trainer, I'm like, well, I'm really a student. I'm sitting at the front row of every conference because I want to soak in everything. That's pretty much my whole philosophy on that. Oh, so you're one of those front row guys, the guys who've got to sit in the I am. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As far as all of this melding together that you've had from all these leaders, and now you mentioned you started off in the construction recruiting industry and, Mm -hmm. and did well in that and then developed a training practice as well alongside of that, and then you have migrated into being a, a, a very good legal recruiter, a leader in legal recruiting. How did you know in picking that niche? I mean, how did you, or what made you decide? Did you have agony? I know a lot of people have agony over picking a niche. And, uh, right. I, yeah, for me, it was... On I, that because... Yeah, I would say, do your research... And, and, and I'll, I'll start with the advice, and then I'll tell you how I made my decision. I'll tell you about my decision first, I guess, as I'm thinking about how I'm going to uh, share this. I had the unique experience of having exposure to a myriad of industry niches. And I knew people personally in all those niches. I would huddle with them, and I would find out from them, what are the opportunities here? And basic SWOT analysis, what are the strengths I have? What are the weaknesses, opportunities, threats? And had I done it over again, I may have chosen a different niche, and I think you're always going to second-guess yourself. There's always going to be something. The grass is always going to look greener at some point. But I was able to pick the brains of people that were doing very well just because I was coaching a lot of them, and that's why I chose legal. And for me, it was just who were the people I found to be really interesting. If I'm going to talk to candidates, no disrespect to people that work in the commercial building industry, but I really like talking to the lawyers a lot better than I like talking to construction executives. I just found that the banter was a little bit more challenging. I had to stay a little bit sharper because those people are guarded. They hate everybody. You know, they, they hate, they hate everybody. They don't trust anybody. And so it was kind of the challenge that I, I chose for that uh, in terms of recommending to people what industry should I work at. I don't think it depends as much on what you've done in the past. Because once you go through your list of people that you know, everything is going to be cold at that point. And so the the industry experience you have may only help you get so far. But I would look at three things. I would look at what are the trends, say, where the opportunities are, who are the people that you know who have been successful, are there people that you know personally that have been successful in certain niches, and then which industries have resources that can get you in front of a large group of people, such as trade associations. If you're going to choose any niche, start looking at trade associations. I would actually look at, when I was looking at different niches, I would look at different trade associations. And there was one industry niche I looked at. I decided not to go forward with that. And I even reached out to their executive director of the trade association just to what's the viability of a recruiting firm focusing on this niche. So I think that's the path that I'd recommend people taking. If you're looking at carving out a new niche or making adjustments, look at those certain variables and you'll be headed in the right direction. Really good advice because a lot of people, that's a gut-wrenching thing. And, and also yeah. think to yourself, well, what if I don't like my niche? Or what if I want to expand my niche? Should I expand my niche? It's a, something that keeps a lot of people up at night. Sometimes you can even take your existing niche and make a few changes with it. For example, I was coaching one staffing owner in Florida, 
And she said, an independent staffing company owner and all the major staffing companies are just beating me up in terms of margin because they can charge a lot less. I'm losing business. What should I do? And I'd spent some time really understanding her niche, her practice, her challenges, and the business climate where she was. And this is what I recommended to her, Michelle. I said, stay within administrative, but focus on an area where there's a lot of value that you can add. And through your niche itself, you're going to add value. And I recommended to her, I said, just don't do everybody, temporary clerical, direct hire, the accounting, finance, administrative, secretarial, all that. I said, just do executive assistants and only those who have a four-year college degree and are bilingual. I said, and if you niche yourself just in that area, you're going to be able to charge premium fees because you're building in value just because of your vertical niche. And I think that's one thing that a lot of people, it's, it's like when my daughter, who just turned nine, when she had a birthday, it must have been last year at Chuck E. Cheese. And Michelle, have you ever been to a Chuck E. Cheese birthday party before? Many, many, many times. <laughs> that's right. And they have this booth where they, they have this air. It's like the cyclone. And, and they have all these tickets floating around the kid. They put the kid in the cyclone booth for a minute. And the air has all these tickets swirling. And the, and the goal is to grab as many tickets as you can. And I'll never forget this. I film my daughter as she's in the cyclone booth. And she's flailing. She's grabbing a ticket, grabbing a ticket, grabbing a ticket. Tickets. Her time's up. And she walks out. And she proudly holds up one ticket. <laughs> That's all she got. And I, and I remember seeing her, I'm like, that's me with client development. I'm trying to get everything. And a lot of us look at, well, I'm going to miss out on this. I'm going to miss out on this. But you've got to develop a niche. So you might say, this is my niche, but then this is my sub-niche. And sometimes your sub-niche is going to change based on certain economic or demographic or political trends where you might have to move a little bit to the left, a little bit to the right, a little bit up, down, and now you find your niche and it might change every 18 months or so. Oh, and you just touched on something. We're in the middle of a, right now as we're recording this, middle of a pandemic. We've had political mm -hmm. issues. There's economic uncertainty and all those things that you just mentioned. Any words of wisdom? You know, it, it seems like there's always going to be a crisis, but any words of wisdom right. that you might share on, the, on that topic? Yeah, and this is what I'd recommend, and, and I remember this. And I was able to draw from previous crises, and we don't know when that next natural or man-made disaster is going to strike. And it will strike, and we don't know when it's going to happen or when, or, or where, or what it's going to be. But it's going to be something. And if you look back, the first crisis I went through business-wise was 9-11. I was recruiting in commercial construction. In January of 2002, that was when I made several key decisions. I, I, looked at, I, I looked at the pie. I said that the pie was big before, but it's going to be smaller, but it's still there. It shrunk, but it's still there. There still will be opportunities, and there will not be enough opportunities for as many people before. And the question I asked myself at that time was, who's it going to go to? Who's going to earn those opportunities? And I made the decision. It's going to be me. And I did the work that my manager, Jim Vockley, told me. He said, always keep in touch with clients. He said, make a list of 50 executives and always keep adding to it. Who are your client prospects? Even though you don't need another client, you already got to search, get another client. And I did that and I kept adding to the list. So after 9-11, everybody got a call. I made a list. I don't know. It must have been about 300 executives. And I found one that had a niche of construction 
that was in demand. And I found that vein of gold. In that year, 2002, I billed 400K in direct hire placement fees with no researchers or staff, just when nobody else was making placements. And that's when I came out of that crisis knowing that when it gets bad, there's going to be opportunities. And you need to, and it's almost like coping with this crisis, there's a grieving period that you have to go through when it hits. And you have to grieve, and you have to feel it, and you have to resolve that you're going to be okay. And I even wrote an article, if, if you're connected with me on LinkedIn, it's called The Stockdale Paradox. I refer to that where I talk about how do you use that paradox as a way to build resilience. But just having seen so many curveballs, Michelle, I, I kind of know where to duck nowadays. You know, <laughs> when, you, when you've seen what happens, you're able to kind of predict, okay, well, how do we recover from this? What action steps do we take? What changes do we need to make? And so hopefully people listening to this can get some value and some ideas from this. That is phenomenal. That's a phenomenal outlook to share. And then also it's good to know that people can go and they can go look for your Stockdale Paradox article. Sounds like we all yeah, need sure. to read that. I'm going to go read that after this. Great. <laughs> oh, and as far as the single greatest idea that you think that can really help those in staffing grow their business, I mean, you just shared something that's quite a bundle right there just with, with, with what you shared. Is there any other words of wisdom that you might be able to share on, on that topic with growing a business during this environment or any environment? Right. I think I would say focus on high probability likely scenarios, meaning don't chase after the cold so much as the warm. Stick with the warm. In other words, and, I, and we could spend an hour talking about this. We could spend a day. We could spend two days talking about this. But in 30 seconds or less, I would say look at the areas that have the highest likelihood of bearing fruit within your business. Stick with the warm. So make a list. Who are all the clients that you've made placements with over the years? Everybody. It's been seven years since I'm, well, call them anyways. Who are all those candidates? that you've placed, call everybody, ask them for referrals. If you've done business with someone, they're an existing client. The next category, those people that know you, they're still going to be warm to you even though you haven't done a placement. Uh, the third path are those people that you can refer to other people. So, for example, a candidate called me today. He's with a big accounting firm. I thought maybe I could help him. I took the call. We, we talked today. I can't help him. Uh, but he reached out to me through a referral. And then he asked me, who are, what are some things I can do to help you? And I said, well, I do speaking engagements on client development. And he's referring me to people within his own organization. It, it, those referrals let you borrow other people's trust. So stick in those areas. Then the fourth area of getting business are people who have heard of you. So maybe you've been doing this for a while. You've got a reputation or you're with a big firm or even a small firm that has a good reputation. Then the fourth path of getting business, those are cold. Stay away from the cold. Now, with candidates, you can make cold calls with candidates, but in terms of getting new business, if you make a cold call to a prospect, the only way that it makes sense for them to call you back is if you have a solution, such as a candidate, or you want to interview them for an article that you're writing or something like that. There has to be a reason for them to call you back. But other than, other than that, if you're looking at growing your uh, possibilities of business, Stick with the warm. Well, and, and that's 
really good advice. And it, for, for someone that's in the industry now, they can look at their at their customer base, anyone they've done business with, anyone that they know, and reach out to them. As far as tailoring that to someone who's new in the business, who's just starting out, if if if, if they're starting out now, sounds like they could do some of that. I mean, they they wouldn't That's have right. previous clients, mm-hmm. but uh, they could build a list and start reaching out, and then reach out to everyone they know. And they might not know certain client prospects personally, but chances are if they choose their certain niche, there's probably people that are influencers that can open up doors for them. Uh, And here's one easy tip. Look for your target clients. Who are those people you want to reach? Find out who are the attorneys and the accountants that work those markets. Reach out to them. I'd like to schedule a time to talk with you because I believe I might be able to offer value to some of your clients. They would love to, to be another source of value by referring you to their clients if they think you're any good. You've got to sell yourself to them, but that's one idea that can at least open up doors for people. Well, that's very good advice for anybody, and I'm sure a lot of people think, well, well I'm, I don't know if I'm all that. I don't know if I can really do that. Um, maybe they're a little beaten down or just feeling that little bit of imposter syndrome. Um, right. You're, you're a very confident person. How do you get that confidence uh, if, if you're just beaten down like a lot of people are today or just haven't had that kind of experience? Any any, right. any pep talk you might share? Yeah, I, I'll tell you. I was one of those boys in high school who thought he was better looking than he really was, okay? I mean, I just thought I was better looking than I really was. And, and people respond to the way that you telegraph to them that they're supposed, supposed to respond to you. And when I started doing legal, I'll give you that example. I I mean, I'd never made a placement in legal. And here I was trying to sell myself. And I found one firm that would give me an opportunity. And I would replay my experience with them as I started getting in front of other firms. And it's almost like you want to act as if you're a big deal. You don't want to ever think you're better than other people. But you want to show them that you have the confidence. You have the gravitas that can solve their problem. And then you pay attention to how they respond to you. And it's almost like you want to act like you're a big deal. You see that other people are treating you like you're a big deal. You say, wow, they're treating me like a big, I'm a big deal. I guess I must become a big deal. I guess I am a big deal. Then you become a big deal. And then you get to the point where you don't care if you're a big deal or not because you are a big deal. And you don't think you're better than other people. And you don't want to be the one that touts your own success. You want other people to tout your success. I think there's a cycle of that. That if people, and remember, we all came into this world the exact same way, upside down and naked. Everything after that came in through some other channel. Everything, nobody came in with an advantage over somebody else. We all have the same opportunities and same choices in the United States. It's still the land of opportunity. So I think you have to see yourself. If you don't believe that you can sell value in terms of providing service work, then you need to do some homework on that. And I would recommend that you start with this. What's unique about you? What is distinct about you? I've got a colleague of mine. Her name's Kayla. She's here in Virginia that works with me. And she's a bit sassy. And I told her, I said, don't diminish that. She's got a little bit of sass. And I said, that is you. And that's special. And that is what the candidates, because she calls candidates for me, they're going to respond to that. So you need to think. I'm not saying everybody should be sassy. But what's unique about you? What's distinct about you as you're selling your services to your prospective clients? What is the value that you bring that nobody else can say about them? 
And I would say start with that because everybody has that. Everybody has that unique flavor, that unique quality, that unique element that can benefit a prospect. And that's where it all starts right there, Michelle. I think if somebody listening to this starts with that, then you build confidence from that. You can borrow the confidence of other people. Uh, I'll tell you this. One of the biggest struggles I've had in my entire life was self-sabotage. I would sabotage my success. I'd get to the very end of the deal, and I'd turn into Jojo, the idiot circus boy, and I'd kill my deal. And I had to work. I'd read books on how to overcome self-sabotage, written by Pat Pearson, uh, how, uh, Your Own Worst Enemy, written by Ken Christian, who, before he, he passed away, he was, he was my own performance coach. So I, was, I think that's probably my greatest victory, Michelle, is just growing in strength of character and self-esteem. Uh, that's the biggest issue I've seen that keeps people from becoming million-dollar producers is that they just don't think highly enough of themselves. I don't think it means putting other people down, and it doesn't mean that we're better than other people, but it means that we are on the same level as the chairman of an international organization. And you're on the same level as that Uber driver or that cabbie. You're no better than other people. You want them to see you as an equal, as a peer. I think that's a good place for people to start. Oh, that is so inspiring. And, you know, Scott, you are always so such an inspiring person to talk to and to go to one Thank of your you. training sessions. I still have all of your tapes. Yeah, I have the tapes and the books <laughs> that I have from your – I have them all, and um, they're, they're wonderful. And, and you, well, you've thank only you. gotten better, if I Thanks. may say so. Well, save the tapes because those are not in production anymore. Those are not being reproduced, so keep those and, uh, you know, don't let them go. <laughs> I won't. I won't. And I just got to find something to keep playing them with as, as the players uh, stop working. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You've just been so great today to be with us here uh, at Visionary Thinkers Podcast. Uh, we're really grateful for everything that you've shared today. Um, this is Thank this you, is Michelle. valuable for anyone that's just starting out in the industry as well as someone who's <laughs> they've just felt like they just can't do it anymore, and, and you just gave them a shot in the arm. We're, Thank we're you really so much. Grateful. And if people want more information that I put out, if you go to the Rainmaking podcast, I produce a podcast. It's a free podcast. It's all on client development. And I do that to really kind of keep top of mind with my candidates. But And so I interview some experts on legal marketing, but really it's all sales. It's all business development. So that can help everybody that's, that's listening to this. If they tune into that, they can just they can look for it on, a, on Apple Podcasts or just go to the rainmakingpodcast.com and it will take them to it. Thank you. I'm going to subscribe to that today. Sounds great. Awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of CSP's Visionary Thinkers Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed hearing our guest thinker's story. If you'd like to hear more visionary thinkers reveal their journey through the staffing and recruiting industry, please subscribe via your favorite podcast source. And please tell your friends and colleagues to tune in as well. For more information about the California staffing professionals and how we can help you in your staffing and recruiting business, visit our website at cspnet.org. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. Until next time, this is your host, Michelle Tasneri, saying stay vital with CSP.